brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Some say history is a river that flows endlessly. I say that history is a series of stories written by each person's experiences. Welcome to Stories, a history of Appalachia, one story at a time. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Steve Gilley, along with Rod Mullins, my partner in crime. And on this episode, we tell a tragic story of greed and, frankly, ethnic cleansing in Appalachia. You know, Steve, ethnic cleansing is pretty much commonplace, it seems like, in the world today. But mm-hmm. back in the 19th century, oh, I'm telling you, it was just something that took place almost on a common basis. Because if it wasn't the Melungeons, whom we talked about before in previous podcasts, it was the Cherokee or it was the Indians. And we're going to talk about the Cherokee in this particular case. By the beginning of the 19th century, southwestern North Carolina and North Georgia was the basic home of the Cherokee. They had lived there and throughout the rest of the southern Appalachians for centuries, but their time there was swiftly coming to an end with the discovery of gold. In the late 1820s, there were scattered reports of gold being discovered in the North Carolina and Georgia mountains. One story had a man named John Witheroods finding a three-ounce nugget of gold along Dukes Creek in what's now known as White County, Georgia, Another has Benjamin Parks finding gold while hunting deer. And a man named Jesse Hogan supposedly found gold prospecting on Wards Creek near Dahlonega. And another man, unnamed, who supposedly found a rock of gold large enough to use as a doorstop, which he did, Rod, until someone told him what it was and doorstop came down, right? Right. Well, you know, Steve, (laughs) the other thing is, too, a lot of people... They really don't think about Georgia and some of these places being a site for gold, but 
home of metamorphic rock and a lot of different varieties of minerals and stones and so forth, this was not exactly unheard of. So the first reliable report of gold, though, came on August 1st, 1829, when a Milledgeville newspaper, the Georgia Journal, ran a story about a man finding gold in Habersham County, now known as White County, on July 22nd. And that did it. Suddenly, men flooded into Cherokee land seeking gold. And by the spring of 1830, there were over 4,000 prospectors working one creek alone. One of the prospectors later recalled, The news got abroad and such excitement you never saw. It seemed within a few days as if the whole world must have heard of it, for men came from every state I had ever heard of. They came afoot on horseback and in wagons acting more like crazy men than anything else. All the way from where Dahlonega now stands to Knucklesville, there were men panning out the branches and making holes in the hillsides. Well, the Cherokee referred to this as the Great Intrusion, naturally. By this time, most of the Cherokee had adopted white ways and clothing and had developed their own written alphabet. Many even had become wealthy, owning large tracts of land and many slaves. And all this came as a shock to them. But no matter, gold fever had struck and men kept pouring into tribal land. Towns quickly sprang up to house the miners and their hangers-on. And you know what the hangers-on are, don't you, Rod? Oh, yes, I yeah, do. Yeah. Lumpkin County's county seat of, and how like this, Licklog, changed its name in 1833 to Dahlonega, a Cherokee word meaning golden, but for obvious reasons. Within months, the town went from near zero inhabitants to nearly 5,000. Well, these men panned for gold, dug for gold, whatever it took to get that precious yellow metal. And once they got it out of the ground, they had to find a place to put it, and they looked to Dahlonega once again. Well, Congress authorized a new mint to be established, the Federal Branch Mint at Dahlonega, which went into operation in 1838. This mint coined nearly $100,000 worth of gold the first year alone. And by the time it closed at the beginning of the Civil War, it had minted nearly 1.5 million gold coins worth $6 million. Wow. What to do, though, about the Indians who called this area home? Hmm? Well, it seems the solution, at least as far as the state of Georgia was concerned, that was to give their land away to white settlers and miners, of course. Always solves the problem oh, every time, doesn't it, Steve? Yes, it appears to do, at least for the white settlers and miners, if not for the Indians. Mm-hmm. By 1832, the state held several lotteries to distribute Cherokee and Creek land, amounting to about three-quarters of the land in Georgia. Well, the Cherokee tribe, believing that they had the right to stay where they were and had always lived, filed several lawsuits in federal court. In the case of Cherokee Nation versus Georgia, the Cherokee sought a federal injunction against laws passed by Georgia, which took away their rights. In that case, Rod, the Supreme Court likened the tribe to a ward and not another nation, and thus it had no rights. Well, compounding the situation was the Indian Removal Act of 1830, which gave the president powers to exchange land with native tribes and to pay to relocate the tribes to that land, usually out west, far away from white settlement. Well, and another very famous case, though, Worcester versus Georgia, the U.S. Supreme Court in 1832, ruled that the Cherokee Nation was sovereign, 
meaning that Georgia had no right to enforce state law within its territory and reversing the ruling in Cherokee Nation versus Georgia. In Worcester, a man named Samuel Worcester and several other whites were arrested by Georgia for living in Cherokee territory without a state license, and Worcester was sentenced to four years. He appealed, arguing that the sentence violated treaties between the federal government and the Cherokees. The court, under Chief Justice John Marshall, also ruled the Indian Removal Act unconstitutional and unenforceable. Well, the president at the time was one Andrew Jackson. And, Rod, we've talked about Andrew Jackson in the past. And if there's one thing you can say about Andy Jackson, it's that he is one heck of a stubborn man. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, He lives up to the name of Old Hickory. He's stubborn. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Well, President Jackson refused to uphold this ruling. Jackson's stated reason was that he feared conflict between federal troops in Cherokee country and Georgia militia could spread to South Carolina, which was already threatening to nullify federal laws, and that such a conflict could lead to a civil war. Jackson's political opponents, such as Henry Clay and John Quincy Adams, were outraged by Jackson's refusal to uphold the law and loudly protested, as did poet Ralph Waldo Emerson. Jackson simply ignored that, ignored the court, ignored everybody, and went ahead and negotiated the Treaty of New Ecota per the Indian Removal Act, which was found to be unconstitutional, on December 29, 1835, giving the Cherokee two years to move to Indian Territory. Well, under the treaty, Cherokee officials swapped all their land east of the Mississippi for land in present-day Oklahoma and $5 million. Removal was not initially supported nor approved by Principal Chief John Ross, who was the head of the National Party, which almost led to civil war in the tribe. Tensions grew to the point that several treaty advocates, most notably John Walker Jr., were assassinated. In July of 1835, hundreds of Cherokee from both the Treaty Party and the National Party, including John Ross, converged on Treaty Party leaders John Ridge's plantation, Running Waters near Calhoun, Georgia. There they met with John F. Shermerhorn, President Jackson's envoy for a removal treaty, Return J. Miggs, Jr., the Commissioner for Indian Affairs, and other U.S. officials in a failed effort to negotiate some resolution to the situation. Eventually, a group between 100 and 500 Cherokees, a small minority of the tribe, met with the federal officials at the capital of New Ecota in December of 1835. And after a week of negotiations, they hammered out a treaty. Well, that didn't sit well, Rod, with the Cherokee people. Over 16,000 Cherokee, led by Chief John Ross, signed a petition to prevent the passage of the treaty, begging Congress, I mean literally begging Congress, not to pass that treaty to no avail. In May, the treaty passed by, get this, a single vote. A single vote is what got them on the Trail of Tears. Wow. After two years, in 1838, the removal began. Few Cherokee voluntarily left their homes, and President Jackson sent in the army to forcibly remove them, which, by the way, was not provided for in the Indian Removal Act. Okay, The army did that with help from state militias. After being temporarily housed in camps in East Tennessee, 
The Cherokee were broken up into groups of 1,000 each and began the march west in, of all times of the freaking year, November. Enduring and dying from heavy rains, snow, freezing temperatures, and disease. You know, it was almost as if it was planned that way. Well, who knows? I mean, that's true. Who knows? But it's almost like it was planned that way to start out with all this number of Cherokees and then, well, just let them fall and die on the way to Oklahoma or wherever we're going to drop them off at. But some of the 16,000 men, women, and children were forced to move that winter. Of those, 4,000 or one quarter died on the way. Several hundred Cherokee evaded the U.S. Army Roundup, and they fled to the North Carolina, Georgia, and Tennessee Mountains, where they formed the eastern band of the Cherokee Nation. So now Cherokee lands were finally opened up for those seeking that gold. But Steve, a funny thing happened. Oh, yeah, it did. The gold ran out. How about that? Hmm. All that for a bit of gold, and it played out in the Georgia Mountains. By the end of the 1840s, Georgia was abandoned when word of another gold strike got around, one a little bit more famous, as the prospectors moved west to California in 1849. So in the end, greed, the forced removal of the Cherokee, all of it was for nothing. Wow. And that's the story of the Georgia Gold Rush and the Trail of Tears, another story in the history of this place we call Appalachia. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to the podcast at iTunes or Google Play or on your favorite podcast app. We're also on Twitter at Story Appalachian. Till next time, take care. So long, everybody. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.